0: Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with NPR CEO Jarl Mohn about the future of the podcast industry, the role of public media in the news business, and how NPR thinks about giant platforms like Facebook. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Steven Perlberg. I'm here as always with my colleague Jack Marshall. What's up? Not much, Steve. I'm doing good. Uh, so how do you think this podcast has gone over the past few months? It's gone pretty well, right? I would say so. All right. Well, we have someone with us today who's going to really be the judge of our podcasting chops because <laughs> we, we, we are uh, joined by Jarl Mohn. He's the president and CEO of NPR. Uh, we haven't done really a, a podcast on podcasting yet, uh, a podcast on radio. So it's very meta. It is very meta. We get into meta media topics often on this podcast, but I think this will be the most uh, meta one we've had so far. So uh, Jarl's had a long career in in media. He was we were just speaking beforehand. He was a radio disc jockey, TV executive at E and MTV, and for the past about two years, you've uh, been at at NPR. So I guess maybe the best place to start is, is that is sort of the. Um, the evolution of, of audio and, and podcasting. We're experimenting it uh, here. Um, so, w- w- what has that been like over the past few years? You really, sounds like, joined kind of right before Serial and this great big podcasting boom that we're all enjoying. So, what, um, what has that been like, and how has your business changed in the past few years as podcasting has boomed?
1: Well, there's a lot to that question. Uh, NPR has been involved in podcasting for a, a, a much longer period of time. I think... Uh, the launch of Serial and the incredible success that uh, Ira Glass and *This American Life* have had with Serial, I think, really brought it to the, the forefront in a lot of people's minds. But we've been doing podcasts at NPR uh, for ten years before, and you know, doing some really great work. It's exciting. I think it's it's remarkably exciting for many many reasons. One, it's a great business. Uh, I think there's an incredible renaissance of creativity. Um, and storytelling across the board Uh, in our organization and a lot of organizations. I think people are doing really remarkable work. I think the intimacy of audio and the intimacy of storytelling. And I think many people are listening with earbuds and there's something, I think even more oddly, you know, from a tech standpoint, personal You're like about in that. Your, in someone's in your head. head. Yeah. In your head. I mean, it's, it sounds w- a, a little weird, but I think it's, I think there's something, I really think there's something to that. Uh, and I think also just from, on a, on a broader scale from the business, the, all the businesses that we're in, uh, including the network radio business, we think podcasting is, is just a wonderful adjunct to that, and we think it's a wonderful entry point for a lot of people to discover our way of storytelling and the kinds of things we do. So we're excited, everything from a creative viewpoint to the business viewpoint. We we just think it's a, a great, a wonderful thing that's happening.
2: So from an audience perspective, to what extent do you think that's additive um, versus sort of replacing people that may be listening to NPR on radio, for example.
1: Well, we know it's additive because you know we get significant data across all of our platforms. And uh, the most recent month, November, we can look at uh, we can look at any one of the platforms we're on. And it's not just podcasting and the network. It has to do with npr.org. We have three apps: we have the NPR News app, we have NPR One, we have NPR Music. And when we look at you know the amount of usage that we have, how many people download the app, how many people are using it on a regular basis, how often they're using it, how and how long they're listening we 're seeing great growth across everything so on the network, you know our primary business our our, our legacy business, if you will we 're up forty percent uh, year over year, which is terrific. Some of that of course I think is is election related, but um, it's significantly more than our counterparts in commercial news radio. NPR.org last February. I, I imagine people, are their eyes are glazing over with all these numbers, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to restrain myself. Uh, but in February, we had a record month of uh, 36 million uniques. November, we were at 58.1 million uniques on NPR.1, and, and you've, you've seen the stats on the podcasting. Uh, last, the pod track numbers that we get, uh, we had 69 million downloads in November, 9.2 million unique. So every one of the platforms, we're seeing incredible growth. So I think it's additive. My theory all along has been we create content, we create programming, we create stuff that people listen to. If we do a good job uh, across all the platforms and each one is different, we should do well with all of them. And
0: and you, you guys are not unlike other sort of legacy media businesses, maybe like newspapers or, or cable, that are trying to, you know, keep this sort of legacy business going, and and and, but also make sure that you're, you know, positioning yourself for the the digital future and things mm-hmm. like that. But what's interesting is I think like with the podcasting boom, are any of your affiliate, I mean, you know, member stations? I mean, to what extent? Do they see you guys pushing into digital, pushing into podcast, and say, "Hey, you know, what about us? I mean, this is. Um, d- does it take away from from any of of uh, you know the stuff that they might be doing, or are they worried about their audiences maybe migrating? I think a couple of
1: years ago that was a huge issue, and I think the theory that we were espousing at the time that if we do great content, we at the network and the stations on the local level, that Everything's going to be fine. It's, it's very different than cable. It's very different than the newspaper business. As you know, the newspaper business has certain economics of printing on paper and distributing it by human beings to people's doorstep. And the cable business also, you're, you're talking about something where people have to pay uh, a monthly fee. So you have this all this cord cutting that goes on. Radio is base, It's a free service. and. 93% of adults listened in the last seven days. So I mean, people still use it. So it's, it's, it's very different in that regard. But I do think there was a great fear a couple of years ago. A number of things have happened, and this year is a great example in terms of we've been able to demonstrate that it hasn't hurt their business. We've grown this remarkable business at the same time that their audience, our audience and their audience, is growing. And then some really interesting little experiments that we've just started doing. In the podcasts, we're telling people, if you really love public radio and you're listening to this podcast, why don't you make a contribution to your member station? Tell them you heard about it on this NPR podcast. And they're doing it. So the stations love that. It's If you had asked this question two years ago, I probably would have given you a different answer and said, this is what we hope to prove. I think we've done that. Do you think that trend will
2: continue as... Um I guess, is radio audiences perhaps age and younger audiences are perhaps sort of gravitating more towards digital distribution, is that sort of a a short-to-medium-term trend? Uh, How does that sort of play out over the next, like, 20 or 30 years, for example? (laughs) I'll
1: predict it to the day, if you
0: wish. That's what we like to do here. What's your 30-year media
1: outlook? We're we're fine. We get get it to the day. Well, we may narrow it down to the month. Um, My belief is that... It's not. It's not a binary decision of legacy media, uh, digital media, radio, podcast, apps. People are very complex, and they consume media in all sorts of methodologies. They may start reading le- reading newspaper less frequently or magazines less frequently. Yet, you know, magazine still is, a, I think, really an interesting, uh, a really interesting business. Some are doing another podcast. Some are doing. A, certainly, the smartphone is is a. The platform of of choice these days radio is still even with millennials i mean there's this mythology that radio millennials don't listen to the radio we have Mm -hmm. people in our organization that deeply believe that if you look at the nielsen data last week 92 percent of american millennials 92 percent listen to broadcast radio they still use the medium
0: are is they that like listen? the coastal elite not really no. realizing that Market. that millennial oh, yeah. are driving in the middle of the country and listening to, to radio and NPR? Is that like, what it, do you think? It,
1: it's not just the middle of the country. In Los Angeles, I mean, New York, this is the interesting thing. New York, this is an unusual. New York is the anomaly. In that yeah, respect, New York I is guess. the anomaly. Well, but I if you're, think it
0: is that way in a lot of respects,
1: probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, everywhere I go, and I travel a lot, I just drove across the country. I spent three weeks and I drove from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. And I visited 21 cities. I visited 32 of our member stations. I had at a lot of Cracker Barrels. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of barbecue. Uh, and, uh, you know, some cities you'd be shocked to have, uh, you know, even have traffic problems. Austin, Texas, a great example, really great, progressive, interesting, hip town. Uh, but one of the biggest issues is traffic. The traffic there in many ways is almost as bad as, if not as bad as, you know, uh, my hometown of Los Angeles so you're stuck in your car a lot, and people do listen to the radio a lot, and it's not an either or. People love podcasts; it's a great it's a great medium. Radio can be a great medium. Uh, uh, people are using Spotify and Pandora and podcasts, and I mean, it's that's the great thing about technology; it's all this choice. So, in thirty years, who the hell knows? I mean. Uh, I don't know that anybody thirty years, thirty maybe years, maybe that was, or twenty, or even ten. <laughs> uh, but I do think ultimately, it's something I believe. And I've been in—I uh, hate to say it. This is going to sound awful, but I've been in media f- uh, fifty years now, fifty. And the thing I do believe is, regardless of the platform, really interesting content, whether it's text, whether it's photography, whether it's audio, whether it's music will perform. People want it. People will come to it.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have more with y'all right after this. This message comes from Viking, committed
1: to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.
2: Hi, this is Paul Jigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify,
0: and the Google Play Music app.
1: WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show.
0: All right, we're back. Uh, so NPR obviously looks different uh, than than some of the... Media competition in the space public, um, and every few years there are always these stories that pop up. Um, pressure from Congress about you know federal funding of of NPR, and uh, I, you probably realize we just had an election, and uh, I missed that. We, yeah, we have a <laughs> a, a, a new president elect who it would seem this hasn't really been in the news, but is there sort of fear that um, the new Trump administration might take a look at federal funding for NPR? I mean, he's got. Republican Congress. Um, Is this something that you guys think about?
1: We think about it all the time, but not necessarily related to this election specifically. It's always an issue, and it's always something that we're concerned about. Federal funding for public radio is hugely important to us. The money doesn't come to us. There is a mythology. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, NPR, we as an entity, I I get uh, less than, we get a, a percent and a half of our budget from the federal government, which is a real shocker. However, our member stations all across the country do get uh, get money from the government in in total it's about 100 110 million dollars to the stations the the thing and the reason we're concerned about it is in the larger cities whether it's here in New York someone like our member station WNYC or my alma mater in LA KPCC or WBUR in Boston that federal money may account for let's say 3 or 4% of their budget so if it were to go away, it would it would be a, a nuisance. It would be a pain. It wouldn't be irreparable. They would find a way to make make it through. Here's the problem. Many small communities across the country, really the small markets, many of which I, I, I visited, Abilene, Texas, Lawton, Oklahoma, um, Flagstaff, Arizona, the percentage of the money that they get, although it's small smaller dollars, represents a, a much bigger percentage of their budget. It might be 30%. It might be 35% that is, and, and those stations may be the only source of news and information on the radio in those communities. Uh, they're the ones that I worry about. So yes, we're always concerned, but we're concerned about it at all times. We've had a Republican Congress since 2010. Uh, we have some great friends and supporters um, in, uh, that are Republicans in the House and the Senate. And uh, so we're always concerned, but we think we've got a wonderful story and We're we're working hard and keeping our fingers crossed.
2: What's your take on um, something that's sort of been talked about a lot in the media lately is sort of the rise of fake news? um, And I guess, you know, obviously we just had an election. NPR is often cited as one of the most sort of reliable news Mm -hmm. sources out there. Um, What does that mean for sort of publicly funded news? Um, Do you think there's sort of an appetite
1: for this content more than there ever has been? or I do. I really do, and I appreciate you asking that question. Uh, it's this whole prevalence of fake news, and there's been much written about it lately. It's it's really a sad commentary. We think we're an antidote to that. We th- That perception that we are uh, and the reality that we're providing really solid fact-based journalism is really important to who we are as a brand and our public service mission. And... And fake news is part of it, but there's also even news that is real, but just headlines or, you know, uh, 140 characters. Some people want to get their news that way. We really think our place in the food chain uh, is to do the opposite. And the more in-depth we do, the more analysis we do, the more context we try to provide. What does this mean? What's the historical precedent? We think that's really valuable. And as the world gets shorter in terms of its attention span, what were we talking about, uh, and, and uh, uh, more sensationalistic, if you will, uh, or ideological. We think more and more people, not everybody, we're not going to be for everybody, but a lot of people are going to gravitate to that because it's different, and there are fewer and fewer places that you can get that.
0: What do you see as the future of, of NPR news? Because like like many people, uh, legacy businesses. There has been, through the years, you know, some some turmoil and um, the news business at large uh, struggles. Uh, so, I mean, do you see that going forward as, you know, a real investment that, that you guys are going to make, or, or are you sort of, um, you know, prioritizing other pockets of the business more?
1: It's our it's our mission. It is our primary mission. We are committed to it. We think we have, and you're right, economically, news organizations, journalists, uh, they not only have the, uh, the, but they have huge economic issues that that they're facing. We we actually think we've got a fabulous business model. Historically, NPR perhaps has not well not perhaps hasn't optimized it as well as they should have, and that's one of the things I hope you know this current management team we have is going to be able to do. But we have three sources of revenue. We have uh, we have our corporate sponsorship or underwriting. That's one. A lot of journalistic organizations have that. So, And that is those are the big powerhouses and the pillars of public broadcasting. So theoretically, yes, you, they don't have to buy that. They say, yeah, we just want to buy. Wait, wait, don't tell me. It, I can't imagine anybody doing that, but right. they could. So it is a la carte to that extent. What typically happens so is they'll buy the news magazines, and then pretty much everything else is a la carte.
0: So, uh, talk about how your your business has changed. You mentioned underwriting. Um, it seems like that you can call it a lot of different things, sort of in the modern media space, like things like you know, brought to you by or how sp- sponsored content. Or mm-hmm. um, is that a, uh, an area of your business that you are are trying to grow, the sort of branded content, sponsored content, like a lot of media companies are these days?
1: We don't do that. We don't do that. Um, we are very careful. I, we think a lot of our colleagues do it. Um, but we think, back to the question you asked, Jack, about the credibility, we think that that might put our brand at risk. And the, we can experiment with a lot of things. We love to experiment with things. We think innovation and trying things is important. And we know when we innovate and when we try things, many of them will fail. That's That's the price one pays. We don't want to do anything in the experimental field or innovative field that is going to put the brand at risk. It's not to say we would never, ever do that, but we need to, we are watching other institutions that are doing it. I am not a fan of that. Uh, there are some people that have done it and done it remarkably well. We may someday I, I i think
0: I think it's going to be a while you think that sort of blurs the lines a little bit for for listeners and readers and-
1: I think it does, and particularly ours we have a very we have really unique a very unique brand of uh of listener and consumer and they're very you know they're very careful and they they listen very carefully and they don't want us even in to have even the slightest tinge of being affected uh, by who are who our corporate sponsors are or who our, our institutional um, um, foundations are that su- that support us, they're always... You know, our audience questions everything. And so we don't want to give them any reason to be more concerned than they might already be.
2: So do you think what you do is sort of fundamentally different on that front versus some sort of digital media companies, for example, um, in terms of, you know, this content is brought to you by brand X, Y, Y, or Z? or
1: Well, we do, we do... Sponsorship, we might not use that exact language, but yep. we do have corporate sponsors um, that do pay for and underwrite. But the difference between, if I may, perhaps I misunderstood the question, there's a big difference between branded content. Well, there's content.
2: a spectrum here, I guess. Yes. You know,
1: but we do, it is sponsorship. It's support for NPR comes from, uh, and it can be anybody. I was just in Indianapolis earlier this week, and this is, this is top of mine, Angie's List. Uh, uh, and they help uh, pay for you know, the, the programming we produce. But none of our co- corporate sponsors, none of them say, hey, why don't you do something about this? Right. Or why don't you create this content for us and we'll give you money? We don't do that.
0: We, we talk a lot of, on this podcast about media companies' relationships with some of the big platforms yeah. Facebook, Google, you know, increasingly Snapchat. A lot of, you know, particularly Facebook, media companies have pinned their hopes on you know, the, the rise of things like Facebook video. I know that's something that NPR experiments with, but I'm curious, do you feel as though you're maybe less reliant than other media companies on, on newer platforms, and how do you think about things like Facebook Live, Snapchat, some of these newer platforms that I'm sure you, know, it's, you want to be on to reach, to reach your desired audience, but that you know are um, causing fear among media executives <laughs> often?
1: Well, we're not really fearful of them. Um, I really see all of those platforms as a really interesting way for us to connect with people and, and, and have people uh, be exposed to and try our content maybe for the first time or get used to it. I think one of the pieces of data we see from lots and lots of media companies is they may be sampled, you know, occasionally through somebody posting an article from a, a, a magazine or, an, or another media company – what our hope is, and we don't know whether ultimately this plays out or not, we get a lot of traffic. Facebook, in, in terms of our uh, the social platforms, is far and away the number one. I think something like 45% of the social traffic we get comes from Facebook. The number two is uh, Twitter, and it's 3%. And then everything <laughs> else is under 1%. I mean, it's, it's a significant number. We, do, we get a lot of people that come in from you know, typing in the NPR.org URL or, you know, entering a story that they want to know more about or going on to, you know, there are lots of ways they get to it. But a good por- a portion of our uh, traffic comes from comes from Facebook. I think it's a way for them to get exposed to our brand, what we do, the way we create content, what we do that's very, very different than other people. And we hope that then they they want to try our podcast. They want to try listening to Morning Edition or All Things Considered. Uh, who knows? But I'm not – we can't be fearful of these things, I don't think. I think we have to find a way. They're real. They're massive distribution. What's the best way for us to work with them? And so we've got we've gotten really great relationships. We're playing around with Facebook Live. We don't know whether, you know, ultimately that's a good thing for a bad thing for us. But we're playing with it. We're having fun with it. We're doing things with Google. We're in the connected car with Apple and with Google. We're on the Apple Watch. We're on Alexa, you know, and uh, uh, on the Echo, and we're on the Google Home. We're on Google Home's platform. All these things are really interesting. Some will take off. Some won't. But we, have, we want to be on every single one of them.
2: To what extent are you investing in video more generally as well? I mean, you mentioned Facebook Live. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tiny Desk uh, yeah. videos that you do as well. Is, is that you. sort of an opportunity for you guys? Do you think?
1: It probably is. I think it has to be in keeping with who we are. Historically, we've defined ourselves as an audio storytelling company. We do podcasts. We do network radio. But, and we started doing Tiny Desk. And those videos, I think, are terrific. And what a fun, what a really fun idea. And yeah, I, I yeah. think it, it's been a remarkable success. It just started out as an experiment, uh, and it turned into something really remarkable. And so now the visuals team, we have a, a, a group of people, the visuals team, who, who do the Tiny Desk. They've been doing... Some news stuff. Uh, Steve Inskeep's been interviewing uh, President Obama. He's done it a number of times. I think he's doing it today. The visuals team that does the tiny desk concerts is the, are the people that are shooting it. And if you've seen it, I don't know if you've seen it, but the interviews that Steve does uh, with Paul Ryan or uh, Barack Obama look different than they would if you were watching network television. They have a, a, a very distinctive look. We hope will ultimately be the NPR look. So we're, we're playing around with these things we We think there's something there we don't know where it's going to lead
0: we mentioned this earlier obviously your your uh, old haunt uh, m t v uh you you know you had some experience in the cable business. Um, we talk a lot about that on this podcast and as someone who used to be a cable executive and mm-hmm. is I'm sure observing the changes in that industry. Um, what what has that been like? I mean, you're, you've been described as a turnaround specialist before. If you had to go back into the cable industry now, wh- where do you think um, the future is there, and and what sort of bets would you be making if you were, you know, at the helm of an MTV?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm I'm always careful not to, <laughs> to provide that kind of advice, and the reason <laughs> no, the reason is the reason is. Uh, i don't have the i don 't really have the facts at my fingertips, and people love to criticize other organizations they go, well, you know well if I was doing if I was running the place, this is what I would do and i think it's it's uh, uh, i don 't have the ac- i don't have access to that information i don 't know what they know. I think all of these organizations are run by really creative smart people uh, and so i don 't want to second guess them I do think just i 'll speak generally the The solution to any one of these problems, whether it's uh, that organization and MTV or any other, I think is great content um, and being creative and being innovative. And the greatest moments that MTV has had historically or E has had or VH1, you know, companies I've worked for uh, or NPR have been those moments of great creativity, experimenting with things, whether it's, you know, um, a tiny – creating tiny desk or creating podcasts or creating a new show – and they're hard to plan. I mean, and and a business person can't come up with those ideas. Generally speaking, it's going to be a producer, someone that comes into the office. And one of my favorite MTV stories years ago, uh, Ted Demi, who was a uh, production assistant. Very, I mean, he was you know young. He came and he started pounding the desk and saying, you know, we got to do. I want to do a special with on rap music we had been playing some rap videos on mtv but he says there's something going on we got to do it and i said go ahead and do a half hour special and he created yo mtv raps and we didn't have any promotion any marketing put that thing on the air he and a guy named peter doherty both of them sadly have 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 passed it's uh it's sad uh, but they came in and The first week, it was like a a smash success. Can you do another one next week? They go, sure. So they did another half hour. I said, could you do an hour a week? They said, sure. So Mm -hmm. then I said, hey, can you do a half hour a day? They go, sure. And ultimately became an hour daily show. We ran it three times a day, and it was a monster hit. And the only reason it happened was someone, a really great creative guy, came into my office and basically almost threw me against the wall and said, we have to do this. And I didn't want to get hit, so I said, Yes.
0: (laughs) And the rest is history. Yes, one one other thing I wanted to ask. We obviously talked about podcasts earlier. I we, we've um, reported and talked about sort of the larger maybe struggles in the podcast ad market. It's it's ex- growing extremely fast, but um, most of the ads in uh, for podcasts are direct response, and you know you're, the Squarespaces, the Caspers, whatever. And there's this perception, at least in some of the big marketers and ad buyers that I've talked to, that You know, it's not necessarily proven as a branding vehicle yet. So you're not necessarily going to hear a ton of ads for big cars or Mm -hmm. sort of the big brands. Do you think that that's going to change, or what do you think podcasting as a medium needs to do to really up it where they can secure more from big brand uh, budgets that they have and and put it? I think it will change.
1: I think podcasting is a remarkable. Uh, way to reach people. I think, it, and uh, I think it's a self-selected sample of people. It is a. I think it's an unusual group of people, uh, regardless of whether it's one of ours. Our listeners what, are
0: unusual <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're in a good to way. This. I mean, in a really good way. Uh, <laughs> but these are people that are seeking out. Think about it. What you have to do. It's not. It's not really for us. We're used to doing it, right? And it's easy. But I think for a lot of people, it's uh, it's like what people that haven't. You know the eighty percent that haven't aren 't listening every month, um, I do think there are a couple of things going on, and the same thing happened back you know kind of the beginning of uh, the web and people creating blogs. Everybody had to have one and now podcast everybody has one. Guy Ross told me the other day he said he he heard the number that there were three hundred and twenty thousand weekly podcasts it's i mean it 's a crazy number. Most of them are not any good. Most of them will not be will get any traction. But there are there are some remarkable people across the universe doing this great stuff. So I think a couple of things happen. The pie gets bigger. I love the fact that there's so many great people making podcasts. You know, some people are very provincial. Aren't you afraid you're gonna lose market share? Well, we're trying to grow a pie. I'd rather have a smaller percentage of a much, much bigger pie. Something that's really healthy with a lot of people who are 90% of the population are listening to podcasts, and we've got a great measurement tool that, you know, packaged goods and automobiles and all the major sponsors can use to buy uh, sponsorship or underwriting or advertising on. So I think it's going to go that way. Uh, it's happened with almost every... I remember the, you know... It's going to sound like a really old, old guy. I remember the early days of the Internet. I was I was on the board of CNET, and... Uh, those executives were deeply involved with the Inter- Interactive Advertising Bureau, and I remember the days when the, the dollars going to web advertising were, like, really, really small. It was like, you know, someday there's going to be a universal measurement tool, and someday there's going to be, you know, a universal way of the ads being programmed. And it did, and, of course, you know, we know we know how much money is spent, you know, on those platforms these days. I think the same thing's going to happen. The content's too good, there's such great content everywhere.
0: What, what you dealing like with Apple because so much consumption of, of podcasts come through the, the Apple app, and it's been written before. But it seems like they have a sort of passing interest in in podcasting. They obviously like helped the the name podcast. Uh, you know, they they helped give it that name, and but it seems like it's not something that they're really interested in cashing in on necessarily right now but they have so they must have so much data i know that they they're not necessarily the most forthcoming all the time with that with that data so what is it like being sort of a big podcast producer and and dealing with them i'm sure on like a daily basis well
1: they're great partners for us on a lot of things uh, they reach so many people their devices we know this is going this is now and is going more and more to being a smartphone world where we're consuming so much of what we we consume media-wise, whether it's music, podcasts, news, text, video, uh, photo- photography. So they're remarkable partners. And we're on the Apple Watch. We're going to be in you know, their uh, uh, Apple Connect for the cars. We're trying to be everywhere that Apple is and what they're experimenting with. We love working with them. They are, as you know, the the number one distributor or number one platform for the distribution of podcast content. The reason they have not been forthcoming with data is their their concerns about privacy and uh, I've had conversations with Tim Cook I, you know it's great he, he is a i love he's a huge nPR fan, which we're, we're very happy about. They love the partnership with us, uh, and we hope to do more. We are trying to find a way to get access to that data in a way that doesn't violate any of their principles about privacy. That said, there are other ways we are going to be distributing the content where we can get access to that data because, as you guys know, the more we know about who's listening, the the better job we're going to be able to demonetize it. The more money that comes into the system... It funds better and more interesting and, and more unique content for you, for us, for everybody in the sector. So, and it, it makes it m- much more sustainable. And back to your, the previous question, I think it's going to happen. And I think a lot, you know, who knows 30 years down the road what kind of really great cool stuff is
0: going to come. Well, we'll have you back on in 30 years, and we'll see if uh, these predictions. <laughs> They'll wheel me in. <laughs> I do plan to
1: be here in 30 years.
0: Same. Uh, y'all, thanks so much of for, course. for joining this us. This is great fun. Thank we you. We really thanks. appreciate yeah. it. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll, we'll catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in
1: comfort.